This morning for our scripture readings, um, we're going to actually begin in Jeremiah chapter 26, and we're going to read 7 through 13. So if you pause at 9, remember I'm going to 13. So Jeremiah uh, 26, 7 through 13. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You must die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolate, without inhabitant? And all the people gathered about Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat in the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. When the priests and the prophets spoke to the officials and to all the people, saying, A death sentence for this man, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard heard in your hearing. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will change his mind about the misfortune which he has pronounced against you. Amen. Let us now turn to our New Testament reading, which is Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. And just by way of context, uh, we see here that Peter and John have, have healed a man. They've made him well, and it was, it, was a, it was an obvious miracle. There was no disguising it, right? Um, and they get in trouble for it, in part because of the miracle, in part because of their teaching. And this is the exchange um, that we see happen after this miracle has taken place. So this is Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus." And seeing the men who had been healed, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Amen. And then uh, our text of primary focus today is Acts chapter 7 and 8. Which is found on page 654 of your pew Bible. Did I say Acts? I meant Amos 7 and 8. They both start with A and are four letters, so... And in S as well. Amos 7 and 8. Listen here to the reading of God's Word. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, He was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord, showed, the Lord God showed me. And behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me. And behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will raise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord you are, say, you are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line. And you yourselves will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. 
The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses in every place. They will cast them forth in silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell again? And the Sabbath, so that we may open the wheat market, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, uh, because of this will not the land quake, and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile, and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning, for an only son, and the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of, of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. Amen. Let us now bow our heads and silently meditate on God's word. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. And we recognize the difficult word that you spoke through your spirit to Amos. We also recognize his conviction to follow and to speak. We recognize his conviction when faced with opposition. Lord God, we pray that your spirit would similarly fortify your people now. That we would follow wherever you lead, proclaiming your word and the reality of your gospel everywhere that you lead us. We pray again in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. In Amos chapter 5, verse 13, um, the Lord you know, was speaking through Amos, and he, he made an interesting comment. <clears throat> he said, Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. The prudent person. And I think that this is a sentiment that sort of echoes through the rest of the book and indeed down through the ages um, that the prudent person is going to be silent, perhaps. Well, as we think about what prudence is, it's a, it's a, it's a wisdom or a judiciousness. And certainly as I hear that, I say, well, golly gee, I want to be prudent in my speech. I don't want people to think that I'm a fool that just babbles on and on and on and on and well, you get the idea. Um, but, but I want to be someone who speaks something of importance rather than meaninglessness. But I don't think that's what Amos 
uh, was describing in chapter 5, what he's saying there is that the land is evil. And he's not saying that uh, the, the person with prudent words, he's saying the prudent person. Meaning, if the land is evil and um, people are going to speak out against the land in any way, shape, or form, they're going to be hit for it. They're going to face difficulty for it. So it's a better option, not better, but a, a, a more prudent option to remain silent. We see in Amos 5 that the times were evil in the way that the, the nation was being governed. We see that the times were evil, that what was wrong was celebrated and what was right was pushed down. And so, you know, we see that Amos, into this sort of context, was not a prudent person. We see that Amos, because he had received a message from the Lord, shared that message with Israel. And even here in chapter 7, we see a specific example where uh, the chief, well, we would say the priest, but the chief priest comes to him and says, knock it off. He faces opposition. How does he respond? You know, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that uh, just as the days were evil in Amos' day... So also, the days are evil in many instances throughout. And this notion that we're going to tell um, the prophet or to tell the one who has the truth to knock it off, to keep silent, to, to not say anything, is not uncommon. It's not even uncommon within the scriptures. I mean, even if you just think of John 3, verses 19 and 20, uh, you hear Jesus say this, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So what does that mean? It means that when the days are evil... And the truth is spoken, the culture doesn't want to hear it. The culture says, no, keep silent. Amos suffered from it. The Lord Jesus suffered from it. So we suffer from it as well. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I'm, I kind of remember uh, the television show Mythbusters, and, and one of the, the hosts kind of playfully uh, exclaimed, I reject your reality and substitute my own. Right? This notion that as the days are evil and someone would come and tell the truth to say that the days are evil, they say, no, 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 I reject that reality and I'm substituting what I want it to be. How are we to live in such a world? What should we do? As we see that the truth is roundly rejected or squashed, the prudent man, as it were, should keep silent. But Amos was not prudent. Neither should we be. The Lord reveals through His Word, His wonderful gospel. And uh, a, a picture of how God's people should live. How the days should be ordered. And we as God's people have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus to take the Word and to go. So we, whether it's times of adversity or whether it's times of blessing. We are to be people to take the Word of God no matter what. Whether it's around the, the house, around the block, around the neighborhood, you know, around the world, we're to be people to go and to proclaim the truth. 
Now, as we look at this shushing, as it were, of, of Amos, we see, right, that Amaziah is, they call him the, the priest at Bethel. Um, so we, we might think that he has some sort of uh, importance. Perhaps he's a chief priest. Perhaps he just is a high-ranking official. We don't really know. But the first thing he does is he goes to the king in, in um, chapter 7, and he um, says to the king, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. And the land is unable to endure the words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. And as we think about this, I think it's interesting to note that he tells some truths and some not truths, right? As Amaziah is this priest, he's supposed to hear what Amos says and says, you know what, you're right, I should repent. But he doesn't. He says, I'm going to reject that. And so he goes to the leader and he says, listen, we've got a problem, king. This guy, Amos, he's running around. He's, he's doing all kinds of bad things. Now, it is true that, that Amos has pronounced judgment on Israel. And it's true that he, he has pronounced judgment on the king. But he's not conspiring. Right? Amos is not... Uh, uh, the text gives us no indication that Amos is running around gathering you know, a militia to take on the king. No. He's seeking to be faithful. That the Lord has given him a message to proclaim. And he is simply doing it. We see also here that, that uh, Amaziah says to Amos, You need to go back to Judah. Right? We remember that, that Amos was from the southern part of, of the area, from the tribe of Judah, or lived in Judah. And he's uh, ministering in Israel. And Amaziah says, go back to Judah. You, uh, don't prophesy here. And we also need to recognize there's probably a characteristic like, or else. Right? Go back to Judah, or else. You're going to, to meet a sticky end or, or, or something like that. And he goes on to say, go prophesy somewhere else, anywhere else, just not here. And it's almost as if you know, Amaziah thought that, that Amos was like a professional prophet. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I think Elijah or Elisha, men who their whole lives were spent prophesying, right, about the land and, and the sin and of the land and, and how... Um, you know, people were to respond. But that's not who Amos is. In fact, he says in chapter 3, 8, he says, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Amos was not a prophet. He's not a prophet or a son of a prophet. What did he mean? He meant he was a sheep herder. He was a fig dresser. He was just a guy, a dude, if you will. But he gets called by the Holy Spirit to go and talk to Israel and to call out the sins of Israel. And so he goes. He can't do anything else. I think Paul puts it uh, helpfully uh, a different way in 2 Corinthians 5. There he writes, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Because Paul knew that the Lord Jesus had died and risen on his behalf, he was compelled to go and teach others the same. He couldn't do anything else. And I think that is where Amos is. I think that's what Amos is doing. So how are we to think of it? 
we need to recognize, right, that just as in the, the day of Amos, uh, the time is evil, we need to recognize that the Lord has promised to return in judgment. We recognize that the Bible tells us that, that this picture of the judgment that is going to happen when the Lord returns is going to make the Assyrians look like a cakewalk. We see that the Lord lays upon Amos the task of ministering to the people. What about us? He does the same for us. This is part of the Great Commission, is, is to go and to warn, not just our nation, but indeed all the world, that judgment is coming and that all need to turn to Christ and repent. But what if we have that same um, um, difficulty wherein the people say, no, we don't want to listen. Here again, uh, you know, we just read a few minutes ago from the book of Acts and, and from Jeremiah, and we saw uh, quite a picture of this. Um, we see, you know, what, what does Peter say in Acts chapter 4? As he's speaking to the officials, bear in mind these are the same officials who have just killed Jesus, and they're now saying to him, you need to be quiet, and we could probably also add, or else, right? What is he, how does he respond? He says this, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. He then says, For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. He can't do it. Like Paul, he's compelled. And the logic of the response is clear. God has said go. Man is telling me to not go. Who do I follow? Same question for us. We see it not just there. We also saw it in, you know, with Jeremiah as the people want to kill him. And he responds by saying, I've told you everything that the Lord has told me to tell you. My hope is that you would repent and be saved. Sadly, that did not happen any more than Amos' ministry was successful. We even see another example of this. This is one of my favorites um, with Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that, that there's a golden statue that they're supposed to bow down to. They don't. And Nebuchadnezzar basically says, listen, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. And this is their response from Daniel 3. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I, I, this is awesome and wonderful. I will just warn the, the youth, the kids, if you speak to your parents in this way... Things might not go so well for you. Um, but at the same time, we do need to recognize what's going on here. The Lord says, you're to worship the God and God alone. The king says, bow down to my statue. What are you going to do? Right? Are you going to proclaim the truth? Or are you going to be the prudent man who stays silent? We might wonder, as we think about Amaziah coming to Amos and, and saying, shh, shh, be quiet, just be quiet. The, the, it, just, it'll, it'll be much better if you're quiet. But as we think about that, we might wonder, what's got him so riled up? 
we see in chapter 7 and 8 four visions that, that, Am, uh, that Amos sees. Okay? The first one happens in Amos 7, 1 to 3. I'm going to read these words. They, they should be projected as well, just so that we can have them before us. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be. A couple things to note here. So Amos sees this picture of these locusts that are coming and they're going to devour everything. The text says that it's after the king's mowing. Um... Perhaps shearing or harvesting, right, think? So what would that mean? Probably the king got to mow his fields first. He got to collect the, the harvest first. And then everybody else could collect theirs. Well, if the locusts are coming after the king has collected his harvest, what's it going to eat? The people's food. And Amos says, no, Lord, this is too great. Of a, we, we will not survive. And I think that in and of itself has a powerful message for us. One, Amos was not happy at the destruction of Israel. It's easy for us to, to say that Amos said, Ugh, those wicked Israelites, Ugh, enough. Or when the judgment finally starts to happen, he says, oh boy, just like what I said. He's not that way. He takes no delight in the destruction of Israel. Second, let's not overlook the fact that Amos' prayers are heard. That as Amos sees this happening, he says, Lord, no, no. And, and the Lord relents. And the locusts do not come and destroy the crop. What about the second vision? Here again, uh, uh, they'll have it projected. It says, thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, he said, or said the Lord God. This uh, second vision mirrors the first, right? The, there's this calamity. It's pretty awful. Amos says, don't do it. Please, Lord. And the Lord relents. Again, it's just a, a redoubling of those two points. One, Amos takes no delight in the destruction of God's people. Two, the prayers of God's people are heard. But then comes a, a third uh, vision And sadly, this um, pattern of judgment, prayer, relent, re the Lord relenting does not hold. The third vision is of ten. And I know just a few minutes ago we read and I said a plumb line. And that needs to have some clarification. So listen, um, I'm going to quote from Jeffrey Niehaus, uh, who has a, uh, an excellent commentary. And this is what he writes. The metal is ten... And the word used for it is a hapex legomenon, say that ten times fast, in the Old Testament, but known from Akkadian. The use of this Akkadian word is no accident, for Akkadian is the language of Assyria, and in a few years the Lord would use Assyria, Assyria to punish Israel. So let's just say a hapex legomenon, 
this is for all of your cocktail parties that you go to, a hapex legomenon means it's used only once. Just think about that. The, the, the word is only used once. Um, and this, it's this word for plumb line, we think. It's used once in the Old Testament, but it's used a whole bunch in Akkadian. And there it can mean lead, right? And, and we get the, the word uh, plumb line or from plumbum, which is um, an old-timey word for lead, right? Which makes sense. If you have a, a lead weight, you put it on the end of a string and you know that something's vertical. But it also means ten. So how do we then understand the vision? We see that the Lord is standing by a wall of ten. And he says, Amos, what do you see? And Amos says, a wall of ten. And then the, the Lord takes the wall of ten and he puts it in the midst of his people. And we say, what in the world does that mean? Well, what it means is that throughout both the Old Testament and the surrounding cultures, a wall of metal, you know, a wall of steel, a wall of bronze, a wall of tin, you name it, is, is a sign of military strength, military might. So what Amos is saying here is he's saying that there's going to be this military might that I'm going to put into the midst of Israel. And I'm not going to relent of it. Now why would I prefer that reading as opposed to this lead reading? Just what I, I said it from the commentary. While we don't have any other usage of this word in any form in our Bible... The people who came and attacked Israel, they would have understood this vision. Why? Because the word that's used here is the word they understood. They knew it was over. Note that it's after this vision that Amaziah comes to Amos and says, stop it. Right? After the first two where the Lord relents, I guess you can keep talking. But this one... Where Amos says this, when he pronounces this judgment, the Lord speaking through him, Amaziah says, no more. Don't speak this any longer. And as you know, we think, how does he respond to the pushback? Well, first is he pronounces judgment on Amaziah and Amaziah's family. Uh, but also we see that chapter 8 begins with the fourth vision. Listen to this. It says, Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn into wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses in every place. They will, be cast, they will cast them forth in silence. So let's just pause and note that this is kind of vague. I recognize that. What in the world is going on? I mean, we see in the first one that there's a vision of locusts and the locusts come and eat. That's what locusts do. See, in the second vision, uh, uh, fire, and the fire comes and it burns. That's what fire does. The third, you see this military might, and it comes and it's going to destroy. That's what militaries do. But in the fourth one, you see summer fruit, and that's just it. I mean, I would have understood that, that, you know, and the fruit was rotten, or birds came and carried the fruit away, or something like that, but, but it's not that. It just says, Amos, what do you see? He says, I see summer fruit, and the Lord says, I'm going to make an end. And we, we scratch our heads with that, and we say, how does this all fit together? 
They're going to show uh, the Hebrew word for fruit. I would pronounce it, but you would all probably laugh at me because I can't really pronounce it. Um, and then they're going to show you the, the Hebrew word for end. And I know it's kind of difficult because the, you know, who reads Hebrew, but they're, they're very similar and they sound very similar. So if I were to put it in a different way, a way that we might understand uh, uh, what Amos is doing there, it would be as if the Lord had showed Amos a, a, a vision of a tiny, sickly little bear. And then the Lord say, Israel is barely hanging on. Which proves a couple things. One, youth group, my jokes aren't going to get any better because Amos's are just as bad. Um, but, but two, you, you, I mean, you have to understand, like, uh, what's going on here is just another picture of devastation. An end of Israel is coming. This one even says that there are going to be corpses in every place, tossed out in silence. Where does the text go? The text goes on to describe some of the reasons why Israel is to be judged. Right? Uh, it's, it's their lack of care for the poor and the needy. It's, it's their sexual indiscretions. In short, if we were to summarize it, it would be to say that the reason that Israel is going to be judged is because of their obvious violations of the second half of the Ten Commandments. Remember, those are the ones that deal with interpersonal relationships. But also, equally critical, is that the reason that they were failing at the second half of the Ten Commandments is because they were also failing at the first half of the Ten Commandments. So because Israel did not rightly fear the Lord, they did whatever they wanted. They treated each other the way that they wanted to be treated. Which is to say, the way they wanted to treat others, not the way that they wanted others to treat them. They were wicked. And so the Lord is going to judge them. And uh, as the chapter closes, it gives a couple of, uh, of additional things that are going to happen in this judgment. And I want to highlight uh, just one as we uh, begin to, to think about wrapping this up this morning. We see in, um, that the Lord says that there's going to be a famine. But this isn't a famine of food. It's not a famine of drink. It's a famine of the Word of God. And as we think about that, we, we need to, I think our minds have to go back to Deuteronomy 8. And there we see that the Lord says, He humbled you, the Lord speaking through Moses to the people of God. It says, He, the Lord, humbled you and He let you be hungry. And He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he, the Lord, might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So when Amos is saying there's going to be a famine and it's going to be a famine of the word of God, okay, so you can fill your bodies, but your soul is dead, right? You have no spiritual food. That's what is coming. And then Amos describes the, the, the situation that you're going to see is that people are going to stagger from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. 
I can't think of a, a better description of our current cultural climate. We're in this same sort of mix where just as in Israel, Amos is there and he's proclaiming the word of God, he's proclaiming what truth is, so too there are faithful churches pray, uh, you know, praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord, proclaiming the truth of the gospel today in our land. And we say hallelujah for that. We don't pat ourselves too much on the back, but, but, but we, do, we do have to recognize that the Lord still has a faithful witness of His people here in this land. We pray it continues. We pray that the, the nation repents and turns to the Lord and the people would grow rather than diminish. But at the same time, we see in, in nearly every sphere of our public life uh, a rejection of truth. We see a celebration of sin. And we're, we're um, I fear, on the cusp of seeing legislation that, that codifies it, that makes it, quote, official. And it makes us then wrestle with the same question. God tells you this is his word, that you are to believe in it and you're to proclaim it. Man is saying, shh, don't say that or else. How are we going to respond now, there's going to be a temptation as we think about that to respond by saying, well, you know, there's this First Amendment right that I have and I need to celebrate that and just say, First Amendment right, you, you back out of my face. Now, it is true that we have a First Amendment. We have others too, but we have a First Amendment. As we think about our First Amendment, we can praise the Lord for it, but we ought not rely on it. Rather, let us rely on the first commandment. Right? That we're to worship the Lord alone. What does that mean? As our society wavers in this time when the word of God is still there but it's being rejected, what do we see them, our society doing incidentally? We see them running to and fro, east and west, north and south, searching for any answer. How does it look? Well, I'm spiritual, not religious. Or I believe that God is good. Or I'm kind of doing my own thing and trying to be a good person. But we see folks running to and fro, searching for the word of God. But when the word of God is proclaimed to them, ironically, they say, well, I don't want to hear that. Why? Because it might tell them something they don't want to hear. Even though we all are here recognizing that the word of God tells us what we ultimately have to hear. That though we are sinners, we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus. So how should we respond? May we as God's people recognize that God has told us to go. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. And he said go. So as man says no, as man says stay, as man says be silent, may we, respectfully if we can, but if not, it worked for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say no, I will follow the Lord. You determine whether it's right that I should follow man or follow God, but I'm following the Lord. May we all do the same. Amen.